Coach, before we get into today's episode, I uh, just wanted to encourage you to visit legendrings.com. They are our sponsor of the podcast, and they have got some great stuff going on as we end one year and begin another. So go there, and if you want some personalized service, contact Sam Daniel at samd at legendrings.com, and we'll let the announcer take care of the rest. Today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. Want to give your student-athletes something that'll create excitement and loyalty in your program? Go to LegendRings.com and see how colleges all over the country are doing it right now. Plus, stay tuned later in the show for a special offer just for you, Coach. And now, it's time for the show. That's right. It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, retired Brazilian banana farmer and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Hey, Coach. How's it going? Hello from Las Vegas. I am speaking at the Intercollegiate Tennis Association Coaches Convention and uh, really happy to get the chance to talk to them. It's been a couple of years since I've been here, so always good to connect with people. Um, before my talks, I open it up for a small group of coaches to just get together and talk recruiting, ask questions, go over things that were uh, that were issues for them or questions that they had, and had some really, really good questions. And what I did was ask their permission to record the whole conversation, which we did. Uh, and there might be some parts where it's a little hard to hear their question. Um, I'm going to try to make sure we uh, do the best to get that to you as possible. But um, some really good stuff. And I think it's always good to take the temperature of the coaches that we work with to figure out what they're dealing with and what are some of the things that are working, other things that aren't working, and help them. So that's what we did. And I'm going to let you listen into this conversation live a uh, little more than an hour. So uh, get comfortable. Maybe put this on a drive. And uh, I think it's going to help, though. I think it's going to it's going to be some things that maybe you're dealing with or have thought about and trying to figure out. And we go over some recommendations, and that's what I wanted to give you was that conversation. So enjoy it. Here's how it went. If you're in a, a league that's fairly competitive, everybody's pretty good. Um, how do you set yourself apart in the recruiting process? I mean, I, I would think that. You know, it's difficult to set yourself apart in the recruiting process. How would you recommend a coach well, going about that? So I think the first thing would be that uh, to recognize what an athlete is looking for apart from your competition. Um, so in all the research that we've done and we hear kids talking about their decision-making process, one of the things that comes up most of the time is they're – they're making their decision based on some sort of little emotional gut feeling like, okay, I just, I knew that was the place when coach did this, or I saw this, or somebody said that. So we know that they're making illogical decisions. We want them to be logical. We want them to be systematic and look at the stats and everything. Um, but we know very much uh, when even at good players, ACC, Power Five type of players are committing not only in tennis but in other places, they always point to um, something that got said, something they saw, something that happened. So what we're finding is that coaches don't have to uh, have the best record, have the best facility, have that you know thing going for them. 
what typically happens is that these athletes are looking for um, a difference in the way that you treat them or that, that they feel they're going to be treated once they're, they're at the school. Um, you know, you get in every conference, because uh, there's a lot of different conferences and division levels represented in this, uh, in this meeting, there are, there are good teams, there are bad teams, good facilities, older facilities, newer facilities, and coaches tend to focus on the stuff that they see around them every day, that kind of stuff, or you know, your record, you know what your competitor has over there, they just got this, and that's the, that's the struggle. Um, if you can, just to get to your question, how do you differentiate yourself? I think first you explain to them how you're different. So look, uh, here at our campus, our school, I know most coaches do it this way, A, B, and C. We do it a little differently. Here's what we do. And in a sense, you want to set yourself apart or almost explain how they, why you might not be the right fit for them. Like potentially you're, you're doing that. Um, so explaining how you do it differently because one of the things that we hear from athletes all the time is I went on these four or five visits and after visit number three, I realized they're all, they're, they're all pretty much the same. It's the same tour, same talk, different buildings, different surroundings. There's always differences, but by, by and large, it's, it's the same. And they tend to hear the same things and see the same things. And so we're finding that when coaches explain and verbalize, here's how we're different. Look, I know this, they do it over here this way, most coaches. Here's how we do it here. That can come down to your teaching style, your coaching style, too, your approach in, in development um, for them. Uh, that, that, I think, would be the first thing is to sort of verbalize how you're different and make the case that you're different. Because you almost have to think at the end of the process, they visit their three, four, or five schools. They're going to look back and say, okay, now, now how do I make this decision? I always want them to come back to what was different about that school. These other three or four, they all said, did this the same way, but here's another school that did it differently. And if it is something that you mentioned that, is, um, that might be something they walk away from or that would very clearly say, yeah, you aren't the right school for me, I think that's a good thing too because – the one thing that frustrates coaches a lot is when the process drags on and on and on and on. And then at the end of the process, they say, coach, it's going somewhere else. And we know that that decision was made maybe months ago, but they didn't want to take you off the list because what if something happens at that other school and they, um, they'll, they'll wait and which hurts you because you're waiting and, uh, that's probably the most frustrating gut punch part of the job is when after a year and a half or two years or nine months of recruiting them, they say, no, I'm going to go over here. And sometimes it comes up that, I, yeah, I, I knew that all along. They were my top all along. Wanted you, you're in the top five, but that's, um, that's what we want to try to avoid. Um, <clears throat> I would say the other thing too is, especially in your sport, um, because it is so one-on-one, it's so, and it's, it's very technical. So it's different than a football coach that has a large staff and you might see the head coach. Sometimes you might have a little bit of influence, but it's really your position coach. And, you know, tennis is a very one-on-one sport when it comes to the coaching relationship. Um, I think it is really essential. I mean, it is in every sport, but especially in yours to explain to that athlete, when you come here, here's how we're going to develop you. Here's how I'm going to get you to the next level. Now, whether it's Division Three, Division One, something in between, most, or not most, a lot of athletes 
will have the goal of, I think I want to go play professionally, or I want to be a coach someday. I want to do something more than just play it in college and then go into a business career or a teaching career. I want to do something beyond that. If you can tell them, here's how we're going to develop you. Let's put the team aside. Let's put the record that we want to get aside, the accomplishments as a team we want to get. All that's you know in the background. Here's how we're going to improve you. That's what gets a lot of response too. So coaches um, will a lot of the time focus on, look, if you come here, you're going to be able to help us do this, this, and this, or you're, or here's what we've done as a team. And in sports like swimming, track and field, tennis, golf, it's so individualized that, you know, you're number one on the, on the court. Um, if they win six love, six one, but the team loses, they're still going home happy because they did their job and they had a great match. Coaches, it's totally different. You're you know crushed that you lost, and and you're trying to figure out what you know how do we get better as a team. That is your job, but for them, they're trying to get better individually. Um, so I've made the case that no matter what division level or program you are, um, I don't really think at the start, especially in the recruiting process, they don't really care how the team's doing. They don't really care about you know making your goals happen. It's really more about. Individualized. I mean, you think about yourself as a, as a player when you were getting recruited, you had a bunch of individual goals. When you were in high school, in your head, that, that was the priority. Um, now, you're a junior, you're a senior. Do you want to have the team win? Do you want to reach a team accomplishment? Absolutely, because then you're sort of bought into the team. But at the point where you're recruiting them, they don't, they don't have a concept of your team. They don't really care about the team, and they're not emotionally invested um, because they're – um, they're not a part of it. They don't know the other men and women on the team. They don't know really you intimately as a coach. They haven't been on the campus. And so you have to almost sort of take that little picture in time where they're at and recognize that they have different priorities at that point. So the second thing I would do, just to round out the, the answer to the question, is I would make sure that I focus a lot on them individually what I see them doing right, here's some things I want to change, here's how I'm going to change it, really go in-depth with the plan, because then I think that starts to, to overlap all the other negatives that might be on your campus or that you feel would be tough to overcome. Um, so those, I think those two things as far as differentiating are, are probably the, the, the go-tos that we see working consistently. And, you know, interestingly too, and I say this all the time, I'm not opposed to new facilities. I'm not opposed to, you know, building a new tennis center on campus. I'm rooting for you. Um, But at the very best, what it does is it erases an objection. It doesn't become the reason that they, that they come there. And that's the, the, that's the disappointing surprise for a lot of coaches in a lot of different sports is they lobby for years and years. We need this. We're losing recruits. I can't build a team. And then they get the the building, the field, the, the court, or whatever it is, and they figure out recruiting doesn't really change. And the decision-making doesn't, didn't affect things, really. Um, and uh, there was, I remember this story, I've told this story before, that I was, um, and it's a, a cautionary tale, um, where I was at a Division three campus, and I was walking around the AD, uh, the athletic director on campus, and we came over to the tennis center, and it's beautiful, new, big. I mean, really, almost you know, not something that you would see in a typical small Division three campus. 
And I said, wow, it's a beautiful place. And he started talking about, yeah, we've been trying to get this for, for years and, you know, finally had a donor come through. And he said, the only bad news is I think I'm going to have to probably fire the coach if he doesn't turn it around this next season. And so, of course, I asked why. And he said, well, coach was really, you know, em- uh, emphatic that uh, we needed this. The recruits were, um, you know, it, it was an objection before. Now, you know, we're, we have this facility. It shouldn't be an objection. Um, and uh, they had a pretty good year. They went up a notch. They finished third in conference. And the day after uh, the uh, season ended, I got a call from the donor who was pretty upset that they only finished third and said that if we, if the school wanted any more of their money, they better find a different coach if things don't turn around. So my, my one little caveat to every coach's dream is to get the new facility and have a donor come through. When that happens, especially if it's sort of like, look, this, is, this will improve recruiting, um, what a lot of athletic directors, a lot of coaches find out in all sports is that then uh, your job tends to be on the line then. It, it sort of raises the stakes for what the expectations are. Um, so I'm not saying don't, don't get it uh, as the differentiator, but... If you get it, then there's some expectations that usually come along with that. So that's why I don't like to focus on the stuff. I want to focus on um, sort of how they go away feeling, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, good question. Yeah, so I have a question. How to, like, what are the signs to figure out how involved the recruit is when they do not want to be maybe that clearly open with us? That Just through the process, you the mean? Top five where we are in the top Right. And sometimes it's kind of difficult to get that information out of them. And if you have any tips on yeah. how to get that feel. Um, well, I think especially, too, at a school like yours that's very unique, very, I mean, a lot that, I mean, you almost have an extra burden of uniqueness to, you know, to try to recruit to. Um, the one thing you, I think everybody has to understand about a recruit, this generation anyway, is that they really don't want to they don't like confrontation they don't want to disappoint you so the easiest thing for me to do i get a call from one of you and i don't even know where the school is or i do know something about the school and it tends to be well i'm not sure i would want to go to that that kind of a school um that is you know that geographically where they are or the setting or the type of school they are um i'm not usually going to bring that up i mean once in a while you'll get it and sometimes that's actually sort of refreshing is when they're honest with you um but the go-to is, is, hey, coach, yeah, I'm interested. Let's talk. And sometimes even that's the approach of a coach who might recommend a player to you is, well, you know, he or she would be great at that school. They're not my best player, but, you know, I want to reward them with something, so I'm going to recommend them to a coach. Um, so I would take a very skeptical view of, of every athlete. I would almost want to assume that they're not interested. I would want to assume that they're not somebody – that uh, would be a good fit for the, the program. Because if you do that, um, and even if there's a way to express that during recruiting, I think that, uh, I think that benefits you. So for instance, the, um, you take an athlete that's, that you've reached out to, you saw he or she played a tournament and, um, and you're contacting them, uh, or, or and even if they contact you. I think one of the first questions is, why do you feel like, just in this conversation, why do you feel like we might be a good possibility for you? What, what seems to be, from what you know about us, a good fit? Um, 
And I think that's different than the question, so what are you looking for in a college? Because they'll be very bland and generic with that answer usually. We usually hear, I want a good school, I want to compete at a high level, I want a chance to win a championship, all the the answers that are the right answers for a a student athlete to give a college coach. Um, And what we want is the truth. And so I want them to explain why they'd you know, why they would want to go to any, any of your schools. If you hear something like, uh, well, coach, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I want to see what's out there. I want to, you know, look at all my options. I mean, it becomes very vague. It doesn't mean that you can't get them, but it means you're way, way back to square one. And it's not something that is, um, is that you, you're not far along. So don't get too excited. I wouldn't put him or her at the top of my, my board in the office, um, if you hear something like, um, you know, it, to, to your case, well, look, I have uh, family in, in Massachusetts. Um, uh, I've, you know, been to a bunch of camps there, and I really want that type of school. I'm looking for a very specific, I'm a smaller, um, and, and plus I've, I've read about your background uh, internationally, and so I want to, you know, I really want, want, you know, this, this, and this. Something specific like that. Okay, now there's a reason to, I think, to, to get excited. There's a connection. They've been able to define the connection. I think sometimes as coaches, we get so desperate for a good player that we see that we kind of want to fill in the blanks. Um, so what are you looking for in a college? Well, I want this, this, this. Oh, good, we have that. So I'm excited as a coach. You should be excited too. But they're not. They're, they're saying that to every coach. Um, so I really, if you take, a, I think, a skeptical view and almost make them prove that they – do belong in this conversation um that that's the the good thing I, you know and I'll, I'll pause there that the the best thing for for a coach to do is to figure out who isn't serious about them and so that you don't have to devote time to them because you think about all the hours you've wasted and invested should they wasted but invested in recruits that really all along you come to find out they really had no intention of of going there so i'm very defensive on your behalf i don't want you to waste time. I'm assuming you all have lives outside of tennis and college and you'd like to live those lives. And, um, you know, so I would want to make sure that, that that athlete had some sort of basis for, for being interested. And again, it doesn't mean that you can't recruit them, but I don't count on that athlete. So I, I keep recruiting. If I see my four athletes that I saw at that tournament this last weekend, all are sort of non-defined, then I'm going to need to go out and get more recruits. I can't just rely on those. Um, the other thing I would say is that there is a progression from start to finish. You know, you scout the athlete, that's at the start, and then they commit, that's at the end. There's a bunch of stuff in the beginning that at some level for each of your schools, you know what the normal process is. You've, been, you've seen a recruit go through and successfully go through the process at, at you know, in your school and your recruiting process. So I would use that, that intuition and that gut instinct to measure, is this athlete, is she going through the same process that a normal you know, prospect would go through? So most of our good prospects that end up committing here, they commit or they come to campus around this, this area. Let's say it's you know, after their junior season in high school. They'll, we usually get those visits or maybe it's from, you know, late April until, you know, early September going into their senior year. So that's, you know, as a coach, that's when we usually get our, our, our prospects on campus. Well, if, 
you have a prospect that doesn't fit that model, I would want to know, and we've heard other really successful coaches say that's the first red flag, is when it doesn't go according to this normal schedule, then I have to say, okay, why? Now, sometimes there's a good reason. Most of the time, there's not a good reason. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out a time. Well, but you took three other visits. Why? You figured out a time for those other three schools. Why not us? And again, um, you know, when you can find an athlete who you know is not interested, who's not displaying the signs, I think it's, number one, smart for you to walk away to devote time and energy and effort to another athlete. Um, and I also think it elevates the program in a sense because if they go back to their, their private coach or their school coach and says, yeah, they're not recruiting me anymore, they said they had to move on, I think I should have probably taken my visit earlier, um, I think that tells the other coach, okay, they're not desperate. They're not the fallback school. I'm, you're, you have, you know, they, they should want to come to each of your institutions. And so that's, I think that's the other thing is to measure and not be afraid to walk away. When we talk to good coaches in all sports, most of their recruiting boards, so if you have a whiteboard in your office or however Excel sheet or some other way of tracking whatever your go-to method is, um, they talk about it being very fluid. So I'm always putting names on, taking kids off, elevating. It doesn't stay the same. That number one kid doesn't stay the same on my whiteboard every, you know, for the entire recruiting process. Um, we always see movement. I'm always reevaluating. And I think that's a smart thing to do because the kids are doing that. They're, you're up one month and then down the next month when another school comes in. Um, so they're very aware of it. They have no problem, you know, knocking you down a couple of pegs. I would just say that's one thing that, that as a coach you feel comfortable doing, that you don't owe them anything. You're not, um, you're not just because they started at number one doesn't have to mean they end at number one. Um, so I think that would be the other thing is to go through and make sure it's, um, it's very fluid. And the other thing that um, – that you always want to do is put it in their hands. So you've been talking to an athlete and let's say she has come back and you know sent you some academic information or some of the initial things that you might need to, to say, okay, they're interested. They're sort of starting to trickle in with, with some of the things I'm, I'm asking for. Um, I would ask that athlete, so look, you know, I'm interested and this is going well so far. So what do you want to see as the next step? Um, and that is such a simple question, but instead of you kind of ramming your process down their throat, open it up to them and say, what is it that you want to see? Because when you do that and you give them the power, a lot of times on the, on the positive side, because I'm being sort of negative so far, but on the positive side, they'll accelerate it. Well, I want to come to campus. Is that, you know, I'm only a junior. Can I do that? Your answer, of course, would be, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you there. And um, on campus. Okay, great visit. Seemed to go well. You really got along with, with our team. Um, you know, so I have some ideas in mind, but what do you want to see as the next step? And if, and I want to ask it like that, what do you want to see as the next step? Uh, because I want to go inside their brain and sort of figure out what are they picturing? What do they want? When you do that, the benefit is that they, they tend to know what they want. But they're very hesitant to tell a coach because they don't want to reveal or you know, go too far. Um, you know, maybe I, I shouldn't say that. Maybe they're not ready to have me go that, that far, and so I'm just going to stay quiet and wait. And, um, 
so when you sort of lay that out to them, if you hear back from them, well, Coach, I'd love to visit campus. Um, well, Coach, I mean, I, great visit too. This is, you know, like I told you before, the area that I want to be in. I have family close. So when do you usually decide who's on your team? Well, I mean, that's an indication, I think, that they're interested. They want to be here. Um, they don't want to say that. They never I wish they did, but they don't seldom or they, they don't often um, come out and say, Coach, ask me whatever you want. I'll say yes. Um, but you have to look for those little indicators. And again, on the, on the downside, if they say, well, Coach, I don't know, I'm, I'm still looking around or, you know, i um, still not quite sure what my next step is. That for me, after a visit especially, would be a danger sign. I mean, something didn't go right. There's still questions. And so I might even follow up and ask them, okay, it sounds like you're still trying to figure some stuff out about us here. You know, talk, walk me through two or three things you're still sort of wondering about when it comes to our school or our program and, or me as a coach. Because um, I want to, unless you ask them, they don't reveal it. Once they reveal it, then we know how to, how to move forward with it. But I don't, um, I have to ask it as the adult. We'd love it if they revealed everything that they were thinking. We just don't find that they do. And sometimes they don't know how to. They want to a lot of times, but they don't know how. They wait for you to, to open the door and sort of get, um, uh, get that get that conversation started or feel like they could approach that, that it's okay that you're giving them permission to. Um, so does that help a little bit or, or no? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. Right, yeah. So we, we um, this year we're starting to do your nine-day um, communication with our recruits. Yeah. So once every nine days we're trying to send out a touch point. Um, and it's been helpful from an organizational standpoint, but as you know and as you all know, like, Text a recruit, even if you know. I know he's very interested in our program. I text him on Tuesday, and he won't get back to me till Thursday. Um, so that kind of throws off the process a little bit. So I guess like what we're trying to figure out, trying to get more organized, is what those touch points look like and how we can keep them consistently across the, the nine-day scale. Yeah. Just because at some point we feel like not that we run out of content, but we struggle to check in with them if a they're not necessarily getting back to us in a right. fluid manner. And, so that's, that's a really good question. And just so for background, in case somebody, you mentioned that, we have recommended, actually because the kids tell us, that the right amount of time for a coach to kind of put something out in front of them or to hear from a coach in some way is every six to nine days. Um, so to clarify, though, that doesn't mean that they necessarily want to talk to you every six or nine days. Um, really what they want is I want to hear the story of your program, your school, why I should go there, something putting out to me in writing, that could be an email, it could be a letter. Text is hard because we don't, it's, you don't want to sell through text message. That's really not like what the medium is for. Um, it's very, it's almost just like a, a personal phone call for them. So um, that every six to nine days is you going out to them and saying something about your program, your school, the campus, the education uh, that you want to put out in front of them. So it's almost, we talked about, you know, the, the first question that you asked was more about like connecting with their heart, that emotional connection that will overcome those differences or um, sort of separate you from, from uh, somebody else. We also have to deal with the logical because we get a lot of coaches who are only on social media or they only do phone calls and texts and build this relationship. Uh, 
And then they're disappointed and a little shocked when the athlete chooses a different school, even though that athlete said, Coach, you were the easiest to talk to. I loved you. You made me laugh. It was so easy to, you know, you were, of all the coaches, you were the, the, you know, the best communicator. Well, why'd you go to that other school? Because there is a logic component, too, that a lot of coaches just don't ever get around to, which is, um, so why should I go to your school? Like he was a coach, I I pulled up the the facility online, looks nice, but why should I go there? And that's the logical case we want to make every six to nine days. Now, I think the reason they instinctively put it at every six to nine days is because in between that time, so they get an email or a letter from you, you know, here's why it's such a great area. Um, uh, You're going to, you know, love all the restaurants around campus, what, whatever that is, uh, or here's you know, something about your tennis program, that space in between the messaging gives them time to ask a follow-up question if they want or for you to contact them. Um, no coach anywhere hears from an athlete literally every six to nine days, but it gives us the opportunity that we're always out in front of them. And look, there's going to be stretches where you might, hear, you might not hear from a serious prospect for a month and a half or two months. They're in the middle of their season or they're doing stuff over the summer and just they don't, they don't respond. But what we know is that they do take in that information. And if you do it over a longer period of time, it works a little like advertising that we need that messaging put out in front of us over and over and over again. Um, you know, how many Geico and progressive commercials have we heard over the years? And we could probably, you know, they're funny. We watch them. Have we changed insurances yet to Geico? For, so they need to keep telling us. And insurance works a little different because, you know, there's no real time limit. There's no deadline to make a decision. This there is, and the athletes know that. So if we take the same philosophy and now insert it into a 6 or a 12 or a 15-month process, it works really well because they're searching for a quick – they have to define this. Um, and so that's part of what you're trying to do is define yourself and give reasons for um, for them to be continue to be interested, and and hopefully it's a non tennis reason that you spend most of the time talking about because I think the the tennis side of things is fairly fairly easy to define. If on the surface, what was your record? Um, I'll look up your bio as a coach. What are your facilities like? At the beginning, that's really what I know about the tennis. Um, you know, but you know, for players, they'll talk about. Well, I really want to go to school in this area. Um, I want this type of a setting. I really, educationally, here's what I want. And so those are the things that most coaches don't get around to talking about. I think there's a feeling like, well, I'm going to leave that to admissions, or they can look that up on the website. You are admissions. You are the website. You, you're, you know, especially later on in the process, they come to you with problems or questions that really you can't answer. Um, you have to feed them off to other people. But... You know, you're you're sort of the face of, of the school and the program. Um, so, I guess you know, all this to to say, I feel like I'm sort of drifting away from from the the core question. Um, but how's it going so far? Like, what what follow up or what what can yeah, I, I further define? I, I guess I didn't really think about it through what medium we use because I guess we're we're so used to from the tech standpoint. Yeah, uh, and we've. At this point, it's with our our 2023 kids. It's we it gets messy because we you know we have a whole lot of them, and so we're not you know we're not doing a nine day touch point to 
all 60 guys on, on our right. board right now. So we're trying to, you know, uh, limit and send those nine day touch points out to right. But I guess, yeah, I, we're. Um, so, so from a communication standpoint, because again, you, you, that's, that's the normal response we would get from a coach. Yeah. And it's not a bad way of thinking about it. The little tweak that I would make is that for those 60 that you're recruiting, I would put out or create a message that let's just say talked about, um, you know, the area around campus and you're in sort of a college, you know, a college area. There's a lot of stuff going on because I don't know, maybe they don't know about the, the area that your school's in. But, you know, all the small colleges and people, you know, places around uh, that it's going to be fun. The location is one of the reasons. In other words, you should you should come and, and play for me. Make that case, because if I'm the kid in California who's never been there uh, or I went there once, but I'm interested in, in an East Coast education, then I need to know why besides maybe a little bit I've defined about the education or the concept of playing in a different part of the country. Why should I go there? Um, so that's the message that all 60 can get, even if they're a local kid who's struggling with, do I stay? Why, why should I want to be here? Um, so if you're putting that out to everybody, that's not 60 individual yeah. messages. That's a message, one message that you create that sounds like it went to one person, but you send it to 60. And so whatever you would text to, if you had one, if you're creating these messages, if you had one athlete in mind to to send it to what would i write to him but then i have to make it a little bit you know applicable to everybody but i want to use the same tone i want to use the same you know sort of conversational nature of of writing it um, and then send that out and i would say the best way to do that the more importantly the athletes say um, an email or a letter is what they want if you text them every time, that's going to be like getting a phone call every week. And because that is their phone call. Um, and that's when you'll start getting ignored. Just be, and not because they're not interested, it's just too much. Um, and I need to, you know, as a recipient, um, I need to make the decision when I, want to, when I want to interact with you, not you, coach. And so, but if I get a letter, if I get an email, and I can take that in on my own time, um, then and I get that over and over, and you're, you're the coach that then has staying power, and you've stuck with it for four or five months. Everybody else has given up because they don't know what to write, but you're, you're telling me about all these different aspects of the school and the education and the tennis and the athletic department, whatever. Um, now I'll take it in. Now I'll read it, and now I'll ask a follow-up question, or when I do interact with you, there's, there's a knowledge base that I have about the school maybe that makes me smarter and more comfortable in asking a question. Um, so I wouldn't use the, the every six to nine days strictly with the idea that we have to talk to them. I think it's an outbound message that you're sort of, you're, you're telling a story that, you know, one message leads to the next to the next. So it should be, they're not standalone out of the blue messages that, you know, it builds on something. Um, and, and then you use that time in between for texting. Um, I think you'll you'll probably find that that goes um, that go, that goes a lot smoother. You know, one thing too on on those those two formats of emails and letters. Um, a lot of coaches would say, "I don't want to send an email because kids don't read their emails anymore." And yet, at the same time, you'll go into whatever tech you're using to track um, to track uh, messaging, and you'll see that 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 kid opened up the email six different times. 
But I didn't hear from them, so they must not like email. No, they like email. They'll read it. Which one of us reads our emails six different times, the same email? We don't open up. I don't. I mean, (laughs) you know, I want to get rid of it as soon as possible. And they're curious. They well interact with the message. They'll read it over. They'll skip a week and then come back to it and read it again. So there is an attraction to it. They don't know what to tell you, though, because most emails are written so formally and they're a little intimidating. They're very long. And so what, how is I have a 17-year-old kid? What do I, how do I respond to that? You said, feel free to contact me anytime. Well, I don't, I don't know what to contact you with, so I'm just going to wait for the next one. And I'll open it five or six times. And I'm waiting for instruction. It almost goes back to sort of the, the idea of asking, so what do you want to see happen next? In that email... Maybe that's a good question to ask. You know, so look, I, I just told you about where our school's located and didn't know if you knew that you know, it was around other small schools. It's really a cool atmosphere because, you know, a lot of students interacting with each other from other places. Does that sound like someplace that would be a good fit for you, that type of a setting? Let me know. Oh, okay, Coach said, let me know. Hey, Coach, it's Dan. Yeah, that does sound exactly what I'm looking for. That's one of the reasons I like about the East Coast is, you know, and now all of a sudden you open this door, you've given them permission to, um, to, to interact with you, whereas before they're intimidated. Um, so they love email because they say, I can get to it on my time. I don't have to respond to it because it's, you know, pinged on my phone. I can go in once or twice a week, check it when I have time, and I interact on my time. And the great thing we still find about letters is that, first of all, hardly anybody does them anymore. I mean, especially later on in the process. So going back to the differentiation question from a communication standpoint, um, kids will say, and we'll actually present some stuff later on uh, in the talk that I'm doing, they'll say that that is one of the things that, that proves to them that you're serious about them, that you are different than other coaches, because again, most coaches don't send out letters anymore, and that letter that you send gets saved. Uh, we always make this point in the workshops and stuff that we might do on a campus. You think back to you know you and this group, a lot of different age ranges and experience levels. You probably, or your parents do, have your letters, your recruiting letters saved somewhere from when you were recruited. Why is that? Because it's physical proof I was good and coaches wanted me. And that makes me feel good. <clears throat> so why as coaches today do we not think that, they, that that matters still to them? I think, too, with this generation, they, they know letters are harder to do. Easier to send something electronically. Letters are harder to do. When you do it, they recognize that, wow, this coach sent me a letter. Um, we joke all the time, too, that kids today don't understand how the mail works. They don't know how to send a letter. So when you do it, it's this magical thing that, that they don't, I got this. I can't believe it. I saw my parents go out of the mailbox for years. They get this stuff. And you know, we're not, you know, at our ages, we don't care about the mail the way that they do because they haven't gotten it before. So it gets saved. They never throw the letters away, just like none of you threw your letters away. And so, again, if I'm looking to differentiate or I'm looking to propel the, the process or I want to say, you know, look, I would, I would space it every four or five weeks I would send a letter. So whatever's going to send in that email, I would just put in writing in a letter. Because the other thing we know is that they get saved, but they also get passed around. And so um, the, the athlete will open it 
Uh, mom and dad will read it. It'll sit on the counter. The athlete will read it again. It goes up on the refrigerator. Well, multiply that out every, every five or six or four weeks over 18 months. And I'm trying to define which school should I go to? Which school should I be interested in? I have four or five recruiting me. There's physical proof. It's in my face that you're the most serious coach about them. Um, does it take longer? Yes. Does it take a long time? No. I mean, you're probably talking a half hour to an hour out of the week to write a letter and to print them off. I mean, so every coach has an hour or a half hour, you know, every, every month, basically, that's what you're doing to, to devote to that. Um, and there's a level of seriousness that uh, an email or even a text just it, it can't be duplicated because I can swipe those things away or I can scroll past them instantly. A letter doesn't do that anymore. It almost interrupts and it forces me to look and it's again proof that, that um, I was wanted. So again, those are some of the same things, yeah. Are you talking handwritten or mostly uh, printed? No, I would say uh, printed. They don't want handwritten? I'm not against a handwritten letter if you have time. You know, for 60 athletes, right. you know, so, you know, if, if we're doing this in, in baby steps, if you aren't regularly sending letters, I'm going to say print them first. Um, if you want to, I think the, the thing that we hear from athletes is if you write a handwritten PS at the bottom, let's say you have a top, your top three or four athletes, you really want to make a point, or you just had an athlete visit campus, and here we are talking about what's around campus, you know, uh, PS, you know, Brad, you know, yeah, remember when you know I took you over to that that taco place across across from campus? That's that's one of the things that you know kids around here love, and just forgot to mention that and let everyone want to you know let you know. Hope you're doing great. You know, if you want to write something for them, that counts the same or it has the same level of personalization in their mind as a handwritten letter. The other thing that we find with this generation is that handwritten mail is really tough for them to read because if you think about it what have they grown up reading on these perfect perfectly spaced aerial font that is you know and now and now yeah you write cursive or you know look i know how i write when i get in a hurry and like it's i really have to like make sure it's legible i can read it but no other human on earth could read it and so I want them to be able to read it, and it's um, there's a, a difficulty level. If I see a long handwritten letter that you're proud of because I devoted 45 minutes to pouring my heart out to this kid, they look at it and you know, they can't read it. I don't want them to not read it. And so, anyway, that's that's the best thing. And I think that saves you time too. If you can print off 60, but I want to personalize a couple, um, then you know, then I I do that. The other thing that I would do is, you know, if you really wanted to sort of be unique, is write on the outside of the envelope. You know, you have their address and, you know, your you know, logo and everything. Write, turn it over and, hey, Brad, uh, great having you on campus. You know, wrote you a little bit more about what's, what's around here just in case you forgot, you know, look inside. Something like that. Not that they need it because they'll open the, the letter, but that's another way that you can personalize it that... Um, that tends to get attention. And, you know, I, I, almost, I always try to go to the little things that get remembered because when we first started talking, I said it's about these little moments or when a coach said this or did that. 
If I went around the room, how did you pick the school that you played at? I bet you would pick out a moment or a thing that happened that told me that was the right school. So not a logical decision, but that's the way that you made it. Um, We're trying to do that with each one of these things that I want them to be interrupted in their day. Think, you know what? They are the right school. Yeah, I like that coach. That no other coach did this. Or why aren't my other coach? Why aren't my favorite coaches doing this? Because that school's number four on my list. They keep, you know, where are the other three? I, I, that's how you sort of move the needle, um, and that's how you do it through that that every six to nine day. That help or yeah, I like the, the printed letters. That's yeah. The way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I coach and recruit both men and women um, for a lot of years using Dan Tudor methods. Mm-hmm. We've, got, we've got a lot higher rate of return on those initial contacts and follow-up on the men's side than we do on the women's side. Do you find there's differences in recruiting men and women? I think a lot of that has to do with um, sometimes the campus or the school or what majors you have or don't have. Um, um, and without you know, diving into the minutia of, of at the school. I also think that um, in many cases there's fewer women player prospects out there. And depending on the region, that can be, that can be true. Um, so if, I, if it was just a, a matter of figuring out how do I get more, how do I get more responses from, in this case, from, from women athletes, and it could be reversed in another sport if you were you know, talking about that, if in my region I knew that I wasn't getting the response that I would need, then just mathematically I would look and say I need to expand my region. I need to add two more states. Liking what you hear on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast? Then you're going to love our special training and information site, Honey Badger Recruiting. It's where Dan Tudor and his team of experts answer recruiting questions, publish the latest trends and research, and give college coaches the next level training they need to connect with their prospects. Visit dantutor.com and click on the Honey Badger link to become a subscriber. And if you're already signed up, make sure you're up to date with all the latest information the Tudor Collegiate Strategies team has for you today. Again, just go to dantutor.com and click the Honey Badger link. It's your secret weapon in the nonstop battle to win the best recruits. Hey coach, it's Dan and it's a fact. A lot of college athletic departments are trying to figure out How do we regain our momentum? How do we build the culture we want? And most of all, how do we create dedicated alumni? When they leave the program, they stay involved. They stay dedicated. They say good things about us. Well, I have an answer. Legendrings.com. You heard about it maybe on the podcast last year. So many coaches and athletic directors went over to Legendrings.com and were blown away by what they could create and design on their own through the website to give their student athletes. This is something that they remember. This is something that every athlete in the country wants to have, which is a memento of all the hard work they put in. Now, maybe that's for a championship season, an MVP award, or just because you want to give your team something to remember the year by. This is the answer that a lot of coaches are turning to, and and it is so incredibly budget-friendly, it's going to amaze you. So go to legendrings.com, and if you do, mention that you heard it from Dan Tudor and the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast. They are going to give you a special gift as a coach. You're going to love it. That's legendrings.com. Go take a look, coach. Heading into the most challenging recruiting year of their careers, what are more and more college coaches and athletic directors using to give them an edge? ARI Recruiting 
it does more than all the other recruiting contact management apps and websites do. With no lag time, no lost information, and plenty of next-generation features that has it beating the competition day in and day out. Oh, and did I mention it's probably a lot less than what you're using now? Go to ARIRecruiting.com now, get a demo, and find out why this is the recruiting tool you've been waiting for. Um, the, you know, the great thing about your sport is that so much can be done now by video. You don't need to watch them in person. A lot of times a basketball coach or a football coach wants to see what the athlete's doing when the play isn't going to them. Do they just take it easy or are they going full speed? Are they, you know, what are they doing when the ball's not around them? Well, tennis, you don't have that issue. And so, you know, you can do a lot by video. And a lot of sports, you can judge by video. And I think we like, as coaches, we want to see them in person because there are little things that you pick up. But if, if I had to go out and I don't have the budget to just travel around the country um, and find new athletes, if I pick up video and I, that allows me, and I'm comfortable with that, uh, I, can, I can expand very quickly and, and I might need to double the number of women athletes that I, that I reach out to. So, I mean, there is, again, there is a certain point where part of that, the answer to that is just coming down to math and what are the, the typical um, you know, return rates or if I send you know, for every 20 reach out messages that I send, I get only X percent back from, from women, but I really need double that. Well, then that means that you probably need to double the number of prospects. Um, and uh, that, so that, that could be part of the answer. Um, the, I, the other part is just the, um, the, the messaging that goes out it, for most of you, for most programs, other than the top 2% out there in every division level, um, I think it's natural for athletes to ignore initial messages. Uh, oh, I, you know, I don't want to go there, there, there. I've never heard of them, or I don't know if I'd want to go to that part of the country, so I'm just not going to interact. And you see that as they're not interested. They read my message, they logically evaluated it, and they're not interested. I don't think that's the case. I think that they are probably, huh, I've, I've never heard of them, but so I'm not going to take them seriously. I'm not going to respond to the coach. We have seen plenty of instances where a coach that sticks with that every six to nine day, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to keep telling my story, a different aspect of my story. Um, and they do that over and over for a long period of time. That's when five or six months later, you get the text back or a call. Hey, coach, it's um, it's me, Tasha. Um, hey, sorry, I didn't get back to you right away. I was busy with volleyball season two because I played that in high school, um, plus this and this. But yeah, I'm interested. Now, part of that could be translation. I thought I was going to go, you know, power five D one, um, and that's not happening. So now I really want a place to play. I'm okay with that athlete. If I'm a smaller school. Um, and we have, you know, again, all, all division levels represented. So if I'm a smaller school, I wouldn't expect, if I was a 17-year-old kid, I'd be way more excited about the ACC school or the SEC or a Pac-12 school than I would my little Division three school. I'm not going to be offended by that. That's normal. But again, through that every six to nine day telling the story, making your case, 
that eventually becomes almost impossible to ignore. And that's when you'll get a call or a text like that. Hey, I'm interested. Great. Let's, let's go. Um, again, I say that because a lot of coaches are, you know, take the attitude right away. Look, I, I don't want a kid here if they're not, if they're not serious about it. If they don't love the school or love, I can't, I don't want to recruit them. That's, most kids aren't going to love your school. Most kids aren't going to do that. Um, because they're normal humans. We don't, you know, we don't do that in any other decision-making that we make as adults. So be patient, but keep coming at them. Uh, and m- most, m- much of the time, I should say most, but much of the time, then they come back and say, hey, coach, it's me. Sorry I haven't responded. They'll come up with some lame reason. And, but then you can start the recruiting process. Where most small schools, your competitors... Um, who aren't going to do this, give up. After one or two emails, well, they're not interested, so I'm taking them off the list. Why? Why would you take a kid off an email list? It's free. You don't save any money or time. You're going, it's a group email. Um, I don't want to stop sending them letters. That's a very small investment if I'm printing them off and sending them. So we have to, you know, again, depending on the school, depending on your location and all the things you know is the pros and the cons, I would just say be patient because um, that's the other the reason I went down sort of that road is that a lot of these uh, young women that you're recruiting might be thinking, I want to go over here or I would never want to go to that type of school. And your job, all of your jobs collectively is to, to move them into the process where, yeah, okay, I might want to go to that school. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, that sounds good. That might take three months, six months. We had a, a client that we work with that, that basically heard from a kid, a really good athlete. They were a Division II coach. 14 months he had been recruiting and contacting, you know, repeatedly every six to nine days. And it was at the 14-month mark that that athlete finally responded. Um, so it can happen. Um, but, you know, again, I'm always the worst-case scenario guy. So I'm going to expand. I'm going to make sure I, I you know, expand mathematically what I would need to to match what I'm getting or the results I'm seeing on the men's side. Um, so, I don't know, does that what, yeah, what follow so when up? You, when you guys do all your research, though, you find that the, on the women's side, they're still saying this, they want the same type of contact, same type of messaging. Yeah, same yes. Type of, you know, they're, it's, you know, they're fine to hear from assistant coaches and head coaches and all of that. There's not any difference in the way they respond to the Well, message. so... For most of what you said, yes. So communication method, what you write to them, the decision-making points are all pretty much the same. Um, it's interesting that um, over the last many years, we on the men's side, they tend to even be more of an emotional um, commitment. So they, they rely on sort of the illogical ways of making a decision even more than, than the women do. Um, the... I'll say that the, you know, the, you said something at the end that, that repeat the, the last yeah, part of your, about assistant, are they, oh, assistant versus have, head coaches. Yeah. Using yeah. Assistant coaches to make yeah. Some of the yeah. I, so I would for, if, if, if we're going degrees of excitement and I don't know much about your school, I'm not really familiar with the conference. Um, and I, hear from the assistant coach at a school I'm not familiar with, at a conference I'm not familiar with, less serious than um, if I 
you're from the head coach. So two of the big differentiators in terms of, am I serious about that school? Or am I going to, let's just say, am I going to go visit the campus? The two drivers tend to be, am I hearing from the head coach or do I feel like the head coach knows who I am? And secondly, um, is there an offer on the table or are they talking about money in some way? Uh, and some you can't offer athletic scholarships, others can, but, but is there something about money that is, you know, being dangled in front of us? Like if, even if it was just, you know, or you're a division three and come to campus because then we'll help figure out your package. We'll start putting that together. Okay. There's going to be money there. Um, and so those are the two drivers. Since you can't control many of you can't control the money. And if you can, then, and you know, you get to decide who you make the offer to, but um, I would, I would put the offer out there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait to make an offer until they got to campus. If you knew that you wanted them just based on their ability level, I would, you know, I would put that out. But from a, um, a perception standpoint, your assistant coaches that maybe you're helping with the recruiting process, um, I would just have them make contact as you, as the head coach, because uh, you could get a shared email account with your name on it, maybe as a secondary one for recruiting that they could send, they could send out that messaging and even interact with the athlete as you, if you're comfortable with that, um, if it's just answering basic questions and everything, that um, if uh, that's going to make me feel like, okay, that's somebody we need to pay attention to because the head coach is recruiting me. Again, and those just are two random things that they have made this decision. Do we take it further? It's, you know, is there money involved in some way? Or I want to know that I'm being recruited by the head coach. Um, so that's how I would sort of play, you know, play that. So you don't have to not use your assistance. You don't have to take up more of your time as the head coach to, you know, start the process. Um, if you're comfortable with them, you know, interacting as you, then and 95 percent of the questions are going to be repeated questions that that you you know can instruct them how to answer they would automatically know how you would answer that um then that would be good and they could even do the letters i mean they can create them and print them and there's your name and all you have to do is sign 60 of them and and then they can mail them so there's ways to be efficient with that but i want to make sure they feel like i'm getting recruited by the head coach and there's not Again, a lot of different sports, maybe not uh, in yours, take the approach of, you know, well, it's the assistant coach, the recruiting coordinator will, will contact him first, and then I'll meet him and talk to him on, on a campus visit. And that's a very early 1990s model of recruiting that, you know, after, as a kid, you got to work your way up and prove yourself, and then you get to meet the head coach. And this, this, this is moving a lot faster now. There's so much that's decided and judged on um, way before they get to campus that my worry then is, are we losing kids, you know, even coming to campus? We don't even have the shot of, of getting them, um, you know, to see what we have here. So does that make sense? Yeah, that helps a lot. Right. Great. Uh, so my question is, after they commit in uh, around the holidays for us, what are we doing January to August, what do they want to hear from us? Right. So if they haven't um, signed their letter of intent, they haven't put pen to paper with anything, um, I think the messaging doesn't have to go over. So let's say they verbally commit, I'm coming to play for you, coach. Um, 
It's a Division three school. They've, I they've matriculated and everything. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they've they've gone through. They've applied. They accepted. They put down their deposit. They've put their housing deposit down. Um, schools that don't have some sort of signed, you know, they're in a division level that doesn't have a, a signed piece of paper. Um, what we know is that recruiting really doesn't end until the first day of classes. Who actually showed up on campus to come to school here? That's when you know how recruiting went the, the previous year. So, again, Mr. Worst Case Scenario, I'm always going to assume that something could go wrong. I'm going to assume that he's going to keep recruiting that athlete and, um, and not give up. And so... Um, what I want to do is not every six to nine days, but maybe once every two weeks, I want to keep recruiting them. Same message. I was telling the same story. I may be telling them things that they saw on their visit or that you told them six months ago or eight months ago. Uh, for those of you with teenagers, newsflash, they forget. They forget almost everything. And certainly after six months, they forget. So my job is to remind them, why did you make a good decision? So it sort of changes the, the, the approach. It's not if you come to play for me here at my school, but when you come to play for me here at my school, one of the things you're going to love is this. So basically your whole group, if they're done by January, you're now taking that group message out and saying, um, when you get here, here's one thing you're going to love. Hey, remember when you, you know, saw the dorms on your visit, uh, one of our guys just told me, you know, one of the things they love about it is duh, 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 duh. just wanted to remind you that you're really excited. You're going to love it here. We can't wait to, for you to be here. Cause I, what the reason you're doing that is that, um, a lot of kids second guess themselves and we know that they second guess themselves usually two or three weeks after they make that initial decision or two or three weeks before it's time to do something like sign a letter of intent or pack up and move to campus, or whatever that, that big you know, defining moment is. So we know that most kids do second guess. I think most of it happens two or three weeks after they make the initial, yeah, coach, I'm coming. Oh my gosh, should I make the right decision? What, this other coach now, I know they're going to call and I have to tell them. I don't want to tell them. Maybe I won't tell them. Maybe I'll just keep it open. Maybe I just won't tell that coach that I'm keeping it open. And that's So I need to remind them that you're committed, that we're excited. You made the right decision too. And so if you can do that every, every other week, I don't think they need it every six to nine days, every other week. And I would throw maybe once every three or four weeks, a letter in, because again, I need it in writing that, that you made a good decision. Um, and if you just change the sort of the, the tense from not if you come here, but when you come here, then that, that tends to, to hold a commitment. <clears throat> the other thing that we found has worked really well for Division I or Division III uh, is when an athlete verbals. And, and sometimes you just know instinctively, yeah, he's coming. She wants to be here, it's, and there's no doubt in my mind. If there is a doubt, um, or if you just get the sense that, uh, yeah, there, I'm just, I'm, I'm just you know, sometimes that gut feeling that I just don't think they're, they're you know, fully in. Now, they told me they were, but I just don't know. Um, my recommendation would be when you hear that from that athlete, that yeah, coach, I'm, I'm verbally committing. Great. That's fantastic. Um, so the, the next step for us is that 
um, you announce it on social media because then I'll take that to our AD and he'll sign off on it and then we'll start the, you know, whatever, whatever process here. When do you think you could do that? If you're, if you hear back from that athlete, oh, coach, do I need to do that? Do I have to announce it on, on social media? Why are they saying that? Because I know if I do that, other coaches are going to stop recruiting me. Well, if you're committed here, you, don't, you shouldn't care if other coaches stop committing. So are you really committed? Um, and if you hear the athletes say, coach, no problem. I'll do that after practice. So around 7, 7.30, and I'll text you once I put it up. There's an athlete that's coming to play for you. So, so in, in reality, all of you do have a letter of intent. It's called social media. It's called Instagram. And ask them to commit. Because that... We have said before, and most kids describe it this way, that that is a far more important decision for them. Do I do this than sitting at a school on a table and, and you know, signing something that you know, an adult handed me to, to sign? I put it on social media. That's personal to me, and that's a huge commitment because I know other people are going to see it. My friends, my family, other coaches. So it really is a good indicator that yep they're they're coming if you any athlete that doesn't want to do that that in my book would be a red flag because they know they're smart about what they're what they're doing so that's how i would change though to get back to your question about now that they're committed um the worst thing you can do is nothing and i think most coaches because you're all busy and you have a million different things that you're trying to do including coach is great. Okay, I got them. We'll see you next August, and I'm going to turn my attention over here. And meanwhile, that athlete says, "Wait, where where did the love go?" And now they're not. I don't hear from them. And unfortunately, the other coaches keep contacting them. Hey, sure, you should just come to our campus. And I'm not hearing from you. So okay, maybe I should. Maybe I did make a bad choice. And again, that's what it has turned into. But if you systemize it and come up with a plan and then execute it, then usually that kind of inoculates you against another coach coming in and, and getting that athlete. Um, so I, I think recently we had a recruit uh, who was coming down to a few schools. He had set up a deadline for himself. We were sticking to the deadline. And as we got close to the deadline, you know, I wanted to kind of make sure that our messaging had gotten through, that he had understood kind of um, how we differentiate ourselves from the other schools, academically, socially, athletically. So we have a call, we talk about it, and you know, I'm asking him, well, you know, what do you think are some pros of our academics? What are some cons compared to these other schools? Um, and just not getting great answers back, uh. right? And then uh, at the end, of, you know, I'm asking him, well, what would keep you from coming uh, to, to our school? And um, you know, oh, nothing, coach. I really like it. It's good. And then, you know, a week later, uh, hey, coach, I'm going to this other school. Academically, socially, I like it better. And, you know, uh, they're our main rival. There's not a, a huge difference, really, between the two. You know, right. uh, you pick one recruiting or one ranking system. It says one's better, the other ranking system, another's better. So, um, is there a way, maybe, is it based on the questions and how I'm asking them to try and elicit answers that maybe you know get me more usable information um well i mean so first of all you you're you have the gut feeling so that you know i think i first of all trust your intuition if you don't think it's going right it probably isn't and, and again we don't want to you know that name at the top of your whiteboard in the office 
looked so good and it's, there's so much hope, you know, if I get him or if I get her, we're going to do so much. Um, you know, but if your gut's not telling you, yeah, there's something going wrong, then I would, I would trust it. Um, I think, you know, again, if you, if you give me, even as an adult, an out, wiggle room to get out of committing to something, um, you know, use this example, uh, that, you know, you're at a restaurant, very mediocre service. They brought the wrong side dish. They haven't refilled your water. Um, it's all right. You know, I want to make a big deal. We're just not like that. Most of us aren't like that anyway. <clears throat> Waiter, waitress comes up and says, so how is everything? What's our answer? It's great. Thank you. I'm not coming here again. We don't want that confrontation. So that's their version of doing that is... Yeah, because, you know, you're great. No, I can see myself there. Because that's the easy way to just go out of that conversation. Um, you know, you do a phone call. Um, hey, did you get that, you know, how's it going? Great coach. Did you get that email? I said, yeah, I got it. Any questions? No, no, that sounded good. Okay. Um, you know, everything goes good. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, I'll talk to you next week. Okay, coach. That's, you're not getting that athlete. That's not the normal way we make decisions. So, like, even judging, which you did in this case, it's, I think you got that, in, you know, that feeling based on the type of answer they were giving. Um, so I would want to jump to something that if, if I was hearing that, I think there's a great strategy in assuming things and verbalizing that assumption. Mm-hmm. So you might say to that athlete, you know, ask you a couple things about, you know, school and and you know coming here and i just i i I got the feeling that there were still some some questions in your mind so i'm assuming that you're sort of leaning towards someone else and just stop if that's wrong when when i say an assumption i just leave it there um you're either gonna say yeah i mean that's yeah coach I, i sort of these two seem better i really like this visitor my dad says this one's better like, I'll, I'll confirm it. Yeah, because you're, you're on to me, so yeah, I am going this direction. You've opened that door. If it's wrong, if you're my number one choice, and in my heart, I'm, I'm thinking I'm coming there, I want to correct you right away. Say, no, coach, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I'm still interested. I want to go there. Um, so that's almost a, something that they, what I describe is they don't know how to defend against that. Hmm. Because no, you know, when have they ever brought, you know, that, that's not something that they usually deal with. You know, the typical answers of, could you see yourself being here? Of course I could. Um, is there anything you didn't like about the campus? No, I love the campus. No, it's not the truth, but that's what I'm going to say because it's very easy and I know how to defend against that. Um, I almost want to, um, you know, I almost, you know, I want to say, you know, um, so look, you mentioned that so-and-so is recruiting you um, in our conference and you know, based on the record, I'm assuming that you put them, you know, at the top of your list. And I'd wait for that. A lot of coaches would say, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want them to think that they should go to that school because they're at the top. Newsflash, they already, you know, probably have looked and they've just gone through their mind. All we're doing is saying, here's what I'm assuming. I want them to come back and say, no, coach, that's not it. I'm not based, making this decision based on a record. It's based on this and this. That's why I'm interested in you. Or, yeah, it's hard to say, and that coach is really interested, and I want to go to a winning program. And so, you know, that is a, a way to really sort of trick them into revealing, I hate to use that word, but to trick them into revealing 
what they're really thinking and where their actions really are. Because again, a big part of your job as recruiters is to sell, is to sell the school, get them interested. The other part then, sort of the second half or at least the last third is I got to start taking people off and because I got to know if it's January, I got to know who's in, who's out. And because if someone's out, I'm going to need to go out and really hustle to get those one or two spots that I need from the kids that I weren't really interested, but I need them now. The earlier I have to do that, the better because May and April, there's not a lot of good prospects left. And so again, I want to sell everybody on the school. And then I want to try to get people off the list, which is counterintuitive because why wouldn't I want to just hold on to everybody? No, because I need to know then as a, as a person building the program, you know, it's almost like, you know, the supply chain stuff we're dealing with now. I want to know which supplies are coming in and which I can't, you know, trust my, you know, to build the business on stuff that might or might not show up. I got to know what's going to be here. And so that's, the other part of this, that, and that's the hard part, is because you put you well put a lot of work into kids that you then at the very end say, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but if you're doing that, that means there's ele- ones that are elevated and you probably will, you know, you will get them to come through. But that's, again, that's the, the, the tougher part of the job is to be the really uh, um, <laughs> heartless, simply by the numbers, you know, builder of a program at the very end, even after you put in all this work. And that's, that's the part where it's, um, most coaches don't do that. They, they'll hang on and hang on and hang on. And that usually doesn't work out for them in the end. So, you know, you have to decide who you want in order by preference and start working top to bottom. And if they're not going to come here, I need to move on to the next person right away as early in the process as possible to beat the competitor who's waiting. Uh, and that's what we see a lot of, uh, a lot of this coming down to is, is that kind of action by, uh, by a, a coach. And that's how we wrap things up with that group here at the Intercollegiate Tennis Association Coaches Convention in Las Vegas. I really appreciate them, first of all, getting up early uh, to meet before the main proceedings started. And I appreciate the fact that all these coaches, what impressed me was that they were actively thinking about how to make their programs better, how to be more efficient, how to be more successful. And that's the, uh, the start of everything that can be good as a result for your program. So I'm hoping it kind of sparked you to reevaluate the way you were doing things and maybe make some of the changes that we recommended they make. But more than that, I wanted just to let you listen in on what other coaches are talking about, thinking about, and how they're trying to solve problems. Because we always hear back from you here on the podcast that that's, those are some of your favorite shows where we just let you listen into a conversation we're having with a coach. So I hope that helped. Um, that's going to do it. Uh, pretty straightforward today. Uh, and I've given you enough already. Kept you on here long enough, so I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate you listening, Coach, and we will come at you with more good stuff here on the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast, so keep listening. The College Recruiting Weekly Podcast is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies. For more information on everything we provide college coaches, athletic directors, and the rest of your campus, visit dantutor.com. Thanks for listening, Coach.